0: I am your host, Karina Gantis, and you're listening to a special edition of Behind the Pen for the Napod Pomo National Podcast Post Month. Hello everyone, welcome back to Behind the Pen. I'm your host, Green Agantis. I am a prolific author with 13 books, another three in the oven at the moment. I am an award-winning filmmaker. I have two podcasts, Behind the Pen, which is audio and also on YouTube. I also have Narrations by KK, again, which is on video and audio podcast. I am the host of the Artist First Radio Network show Author Assist. You can go over there and listen to any past shows on the archive. I'm also a booktuber. And if you don't know what that is, pop over to Karina Gantis on YouTube and look at my videos, and you'll see exactly what a booktuber does. Uh, I think that's everything. Uh, oh, and I also run, of course, so important, I also run Author Assist. Uh, that's been going now for 15 years now and I help authors with marketing, promotion, everything from brainstorming the idea from the beginning right through until they get the book in their hand and we start the marketing and promotion of the book. So uh, anyone out there that needs help, you know where to find me, Queen Gantus. I don't use a pen name. You can find me on Amazon. You can find me on Facebook 24-7 nearly. Um, So today my guest is Amy Rivers. Welcome to the show, Amy. Hello there. Thank you for having me. Now, we've talked before and normally on Behind the Pen, I don't know my guests at all, but we've actually uh, spoken before on my radio show, which is a great fun. And um, I hope to get to know you a bit better now that we are face to face. So why don't we start with whereabouts are you? I live
1: in Boulder, Colorado. So um, not exactly in Boulder, the city though, so I'm out kind of in the middle of a farm oh, in wow. East Boulder County, so sort of out in the middle of nowhere, but close enough to everything to feel connected.
0: Oh, perfect. <laughs> That's nice. So you got the quiet, but then you're really close to the city as well. Um, do you live there all your life, or you've uh, moved there when you married? Or
1: um, I actually moved here about seven years ago. I was born and raised in southern New Mexico. Oh. And then I spent about 12 years in Washington state where I went to college and I worked for quite a while. And then after I had my first son, I moved back home to New Mexico and then came back to, and then came to Colorado. So I've been kind of here and there.
0: So what were you studying that uh, when you were in Washington? What were you? What were you...
1: Um, so I. I did my undergraduate at this very small college in the middle of Washington state and I studied, I thought I was gonna go in and study uh, pre-law because I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, I still actually kind of wanna be a lawyer. Um, I never can quite decide if I'm done being in school. I love school so much. And so um, I ended up studying uh, two very, very practical areas, uh, philosophy and political science. So Mm -hmm. um, I had two majors and philosophy I just adored, but it's unless you are going to become a philosophy major or um, are going to teach philosophy, if you're gonna do something with philosophy, then it's cool. Otherwise it's the the practical skills that you learn from that have more to do with things like analytical thinking and teaching and some of the other things that I kind of did through that program. So, but yes, philosophy and political science. (laughs)
0: <laughs> but even though you you couldn't use philosophy in um, a job uh, as a as a lawyer, um, I think it would have helped because you you've learned so much from doing that uh, that uh, major. Even though I think um, I think any experience you have in life helps you in your work. So, Absolutely. Well,
1: and honestly, you know my first job out of college. um, I worked as a passport uh, supervisor at the passport agency in Seattle. And part of getting that job really depended on a lot of the work that I had done in my philosophy major, not the actual study itself, but my specialty or the thing I loved the most about being in that philosophy department was actually their logic classes. I loved analytical philosophy. And so um, I did a lot of student teaching and peer mentoring and other kinds of things through that program. And I really think that those are the things that really landed me that first job out of college, because I was pretty used to talking, I was pretty good at, I was pretty good at expressing myself. And I think that, you know, considering that I was basically a fledgling out of college and had no real life experience. Otherwise, you know, I, I did a pretty good job of selling myself. So
0: yeah, yeah, just, just smile and wink a few times at the interviewer. You got the job. <laughs> but um so what happened after that? What did you do after that? I
1: worked for several years for the US Passport Agency. So I was actually a contractor, so I wasn't working directly for the State Department, but um, everything in that department is pretty closed in and lots of security mm. clearances and things because, you know, we're literally producing people's passports. We have all this private information and then all the materials that are used are highly secure. And so I got a really good taste for, um, you know, what it was like to be sort of in that government environment. Mm. And I was able to do a lot of traveling and things with the company that I worked for. So that was really nice too. I really got to kind of get out of my comfort zone and see a little bit more of the world. And so um, I decided I was going to study. I, I always want to go back to school. I really think that this is like probably, you know, some people need interventions about like caffeine addictions and things like that, but I really feel like going You're to school is a thing. I am. I could go to school forever. I would be that student who was just in school forever because something will pique my interest and I want to learn all about it, and so um, I went, I started going to a public administration uh, graduate course, um, and then things changed pretty dramatically in my life, and I ended up quitting that job and starting working for a friend who was doing a startup doing internet marketing and which was kind of like a complete reverse. (laughs) But um, I actually worked there for and then owned the company for quite a while for probably almost about a decade. I did internet marketing and I worked with a lot of nonprofits and was able to apply a lot of the things that I did both in my government work and also in um, my public administration studies. To helping nonprofits get out there in the world.
0: Were you um, while you were you had your own business, but were you still at school? Were you still studying and learning, teaching, and learning more about so anything? I
1: stopped going to school for that because I realized that actually, in the grand scheme of things, that wasn't exactly the direction that I wanted to go, and I didn't necessarily want to spend. All of the time and energy in getting a degree that I already was starting to see I wasn't necessarily going to want to use the way that it should have been used. So I took the classes that I took and and moved them sort of tried to apply them as best I could to the degree you know to the job that I had at that time, and um, and a lot of things just happened during that time. I had I got married. I had my first baby. um, You know I, I. Basically, I have two kids. I had my son and a year after he was born, I was like, I can't, I can't fathom raising this child so far away from my parents and the rest of my family. Mm -hmm. And so I decided, you know, we decided to move back to New Mexico, which was kind of a huge transition because, uh, you know, rural southern New Mexico is very, very different from living in Seattle, Mm -hmm. which is where I was living at the time. We were right in the middle of the city and had access to all kinds of things. And then we were moving to this place that really, you know, is much smaller, a much more closed community, harder to find jobs, (laughs) all of those things that kind of go along with being in a smaller place. So.
0: So, then you, So you're back in uh, New Mexico. So what did you do then? Did you carry on with the marketing business and work I from did. home?
1: I did. Um, so I also am willing to try anything. These are the two things about me. One, I want to be in school all the time. Two, I'm willing to try just about anything. So I took my internet marketing business to this small town in uh, New Mexico and realized pretty quickly that what I had been doing Doing for clients in Seattle was not going to work in this small town in New Mexico because they were not at the same place, uh, you know, technologically. Yeah. They weren't using the internet the same way, and so I had to kind of reinvent myself there. And so I started working a lot with nonprofits and doing a lot more graphics design work and kind of on the ground marketing work for them. And then I also um, took over this web newscast. Uh, website that had already exist for a little while and started doing programs around town like we would do um, on the spot interviews with business owners and we would do um, interviews with different performing artists and I had a friend who's a very very talented photographer and we made ourselves press passes and would go up to one of the local casinos and cover the concerts that were going on there and it was like the weirdest wildest time so many <laughs> bizarre things and I really I do think that I just I'm like I'm gonna try this thing and then I just figure out how to do it and that's kind of been the pervasive way of attacking life throughout my <laughs>
0: entire life. That's it is- I mean if your opportunity knocks you you open that door who knows where it's gonna lead you go for We're it. So-
1: It's so funny when I look back at it now too, because I'm like, I, you know, I can't believe, I can't believe we did that. Like some of the stuff we did was just so, was so random and weird and crazy, (laughs) but the experiences were so much fun. And it was, it was just such a good time to, you know, experiment and to be out in the world, you know, trying new things. So
0: it it sounds really, really fantastic that you got that experience it's like memory you make those kind of memories you'll never forget you know and it all helps like I said it all helps once everything comes together and you found the path that you're supposed to be on then everything you've done to get there it, it helps you to find that pathway I think I think uh, uh good and bad experiences they all shape you into the person you're supposed to be
1: I think so, too. And, you know, people ask a lot about, um, well, do you regret this or, you know, do you wish you had done something differently? And, you know, I suppose on on a very, like, very specific level, there may be things I would have done slightly differently. But I don't think I would change anything because all of those experiences have led to this point. And, you know, that that stuff that we were doing at that point... um, is not what I'm doing right now. So, I mean, I still change things up several times between then and where I am now. But a lot of the, the skills, a lot of the confidence, a lot of the communication skills, all of those things are things that translate now into my life too. So,
0: exactly. I mean, to do something like you were doing, you definitely need to 100% confidence and uh, <laughs> to be able to talk with people and communication. And I think uh, when you're out of that field and you're, you've got a um, another business or you're teaching or whatever um, those like you said confidence and communication is important in most uh, jobs nowadays anyway so absolutely. Let, let's get to the writing I mean oh my gosh you, you've done all that you've had all that experience and then you're like right I'm gonna become an author I'm gonna I'm going to do some nonfiction work. I'm going to do some short stories, get into some anthologies, and then I'm going to write my first novel. How did it all start when it came to the writing part?
1: I always loved writing um, when I was a kid. My mom likes to tell this story. Uh, when I was a kid, I we were at some friend's house, and I I was bo- I must have been bored um, because I wrote. Uh, like an essay or a book report sort of thing on gems from reading from the encyclopedia and just gave it to her because that was the thing to do and (laughs) when I was in elementary school we had this great writing program and so we my third grade teacher I remember we wrote all these little stories which I still have and they are hilarious because at you know when you're in third grade you don't know kids are funny and I was no exception so I wrote all kinds of really weird stories about all of the things that were important in my life which were hilarious oh you've got to
0: publish that
1: they're so they're just they crack me up every time I see them and then we also wrote books so we had this book program where we actually put together the books we had to write the stories illustrate type everything up um you know they had a way to paste pages together, our parents had to sew the spines, everything about those books was produced, and it was actually a really great experience, because Mm. you really do get a a feel for how much goes into producing a book, even at a very young age, so on the one hand, I got lots of experience with that, on the other hand, I think it also was a little daunting, because, you know, I never really considered being an actual full-time author, uh, until much, much, much later, I was always looking at sort of more practical careers to have. (laughs) Um, but after I finished with, I I took my internet marketing business really as far as I could take it in the town that I was living at. And during that time, my aunt, who is, um, my aunt Tina, who is basically my hero in life and one of my very favorite people, Um, she was a nurse and she had started this program, a sexual assault nurse examiners program in our hometown. And even back when I was living in Washington, she would call me and ask me advice about how to set things up. And because I was running a business, I I gave her advice on HR and hiring practices and documentation and all of the things that she might need, you know, to make, to put things together in a really, you know, smooth way. Mm -hmm. And then, when I got down to New Mexico, I actually um, took a position on the board of the overseeing organization for that, for those sane nurses. And then, when my aunt moved, um, I became the interim director and then eventually just the full time director for this sexual assault nurse examiners program. And we worked with victims in two different counties. So um, we helped people who were in um, the small rural towns who were being overseen by law enforcement in the counties and in the cities. And then we also had an air force base nearby. So we worked with those people too. And near the end of my career there, um, we were actually negotiating to work with the prison system um, in New Mexico. So I got a lot of experience working with victims and I really realized that 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 was my passion. I wanted to be in that management space, but I wanted to also do things that I felt were really going to make the world a better place.
0: Difference you wanted to make a difference. Then I went back to school.
1: (laughs) I went back to school, but
0: but at least when you went back to school this time, you knew that that was the pathway. That was what you wanted to do.
1: I did. And so, you know, a lot of my writing then from or for a while was academic, um, mm-hmm. I really looked at the, the history of violence and violence prevention and interpersonal violence and a lot of the things that I was very, very interested in trying to help, um, you know, to help prevent in the community and when i moved to colorado i actually had fully intended to go into that line of work and i had several interviews and i was i was still finishing up my master's degree and so i was had a lot of stuff going on plus i have two kids and they're in school and there's all the stuff that are, that is happening and getting into some of the jobs that i was looking at was taking a long time and so while i was doing that i took a magazine writing class ah. and so i was like i will write about this stuff <laughs> and the I found this organization in Northern Colorado, and the head, the founder, was teaching this like four or five week class on magazine writing, and she was wonderful. And so I started writing articles and writing personal essays about my work with SANE, um, just about those sorts of things. And in fact, the very first thing that I had published was a personal essay that I wrote for a chicken soup book. It was for Chicken Soup for the Souls, Inspiration for Nurses. And I wrote about an interaction that I had with one of the nurses that uh, that worked for me when I was in New Mexico and that was my first published piece and um, I pretty much fell in love with the writing process itself. I realized that that was how I wanted to do the things I wanted to do. So I was going to go out and I was going to help inform and change perspectives and make the world a better place, but I was going to do it through writing not through
0: necessarily working directly. They always say the pen is mightier than the sword.
1: And I believe wholeheartedly that people, even when they're reading fiction, you know, they, the things that we think about the world, our worldview is based on what we see, and it's not always the true things that we see. So back when I was working with SANE, um, you know, we would always talk about the CSI effect, how people watch CSI programs, and they think that that's how works. That's how it really works, works, but
0: it doesn't. Yes.
1: And so your expectations are created. Law and
0: order and stuff, yeah.
1: Yes. So, you know, when on the show, they get DNA results back in like two seconds, and yeah. that's not how it works in the real world. And so, you know, I really got very, um, I really started wrapping my brain around this idea that I wanted to look at, especially women's lives, because I spent a two and a half year stint in there as a single mom, I was putting myself through college and working full time all of the while. And you know, I started getting really frustrated with the way that sometimes women are portrayed as having to be the roles that we're asked to have in the world and all the things we're asked to juggle and then still somehow, you know, find this place where we're not on the same footing with other men or other women or anyone else. And, you know, we're looked at if we are mothers, we're expected to be, um, you know, home with our children or taking care of them, but we also have to support them. And if we're doing, you know, we're always judged, no matter what we do, and we don't always make good decisions, let's face it. So I started really wanting to kind of look at just realistically how people behave in the world and how women especially juggle and figure out how to be okay in the situations that they find themselves in. So that's
0: yeah, the long story. I mean, to let there, <laughs> multi multitasking. You're, you're a mum. You're a business lady. You've still got to be the housewife. You've still got to be the wife. Um, yeah. And everyone, the family expects you to to do those roles, uh, unless you've got an amazing, amazing husband that understands that you can't manage it all by yourself and you need help. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's like you said, it, it's uh, It's not like it was in the 50s and 60s where you had your apron on and you're tied to the kitchen sink. Things have yeah. changed, thank, thankfully. But we're still expected to do these roles, whereas you and me, we're business people. We want to, we want to have our, our own career, um, not work for somebody else. We want to work for ourselves. But we want to be able to still have a, a beautiful family relationship and a, a beautiful marriage, and sometimes it doesn't come together as not, as, uh, as 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 um, tight as it should. Um, it takes it takes a lot of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, a lot of strength. I think it takes a lot of strength yeah. to to be able to juggle a lot of hard and, work. It, it really, really is. It really is. And any ladies listening to this now will totally agree with us. Um, Absolutely. That um, we are the bomb. Um, we are. We are. <laughs> yes. We are super women, super mums, super business women. We. Um, the world would not um, exist without us, uh, women. It's simple well, as that.
1: I- I do think that, you know, the big thing too is everybody says, well, you can't have it all. And I think that that's, maybe that's true, but I also think we that can we can learn. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we can actually learn to prioritize and learn to, you know, I, I really think that sometimes being a woman is like the biggest um, demonstration of superior executive functioning skills because we have time management skills like nobody's business. We figure out where to fit stuff in all of those little extra spaces of time. You know, I have friends right now who are, who are authors. I have one friend in particular in Fort Collins. She always comes to mind where she's working a full-time job. She's teaching. She's got two kids. She's married. She gets up every morning at five o'clock and writes before she goes to school, before she does all the things. I am not a five o'clock in the morning kind of person. So that is not the way I do things. But, you know, we find ways we, to do it and we, we can, do. we, we can have to be yeah. good mothers and also professionals and also, you know, have our own lives and personalities. And I think that it probably makes our children stronger to see that you can do the things that you put your mind to and you will figure out a way to make it work. And it doesn't have to mean that anybody in the process is suffering or is, you know, not getting enough.
0: I have, I have gone through everything that we've talked about, and then I have the other side of my life off the camera, where I have serious health conditions, um, disability, um, insomnia, chronic insomnia, uh, depression, chronic pain, uh, the list just goes on and on and on. And so I'm dealing with all that as well as my own business, as well as the podcast, as well as the radio show, as well as helping all my clients. And I have 13 books published and another three I'm working on. Yep. So, I mean, people say, you know, you're so strong what you go through. And I'm like, well, you know, this has happened. There is nothing I can do about the situation except accept it, get on with life. And, and try and fulfill and be as happy as I can in the situation that I have. Yeah, definitely. And I mean,
1: figure out ways to, to um, you know, do what you can, adapt when you need to. These are the things I think that we hold ourselves to such high expectations and society holds us to such high expectations. And this is not just for women. This is for everybody. Mm. And somewhere along the line, I think sometimes we forget to stop and say, okay, what is important to me? What, who am I and what is important to me? And that's the place where I think, you know, we all have to stop and take a look at things. I always do goals. I do goal setting um, workshops with writers. And one of the things I do talk to them about is what is it you're actually trying to do? Do you really want to be a New York times bestselling author? Do you really want to, you know, what, what do you want? Because I don't know that anybody really asks us that. When we start on this publishing path, we often start
0: uh, with high expectations that, is, that we're going yes, to become and, a New York Times bestseller. We're exactly. going to be a JK Rowling. We're going to have a film made. All merchandise we're going to have people <laughs> trying to buy our contracts off us and yeah yeah yes. that is what and we're, we're going to get that think when start. deal
1: yeah absolutely we're going to exactly. get that six figure deal we have to have an agent there's one right way to do things
0: and then and there's not it's it just, not true the dream just sinks like quicksand <laughs> exactly. just sucked in and reality hits you and you're like Ah, okay so it doesn't work like that so what do I need to do to make it work yeah and and what do I
1: what am I even trying to do and I think that this is this applies you know it really in all areas of life we don't have to do the same things that everybody else is doing what's good for you may not be good for me and vice versa and that is actually okay we are okay we can all be okay.
0: (laughs) We can, we can. Amy, I want to talk about your your actual novels because uh, they are outstanding. Um, Everything that you've done through your life has been to this point of being able to write these novels with the understanding that you know what you're talking about because you've experienced it and you've studied it and you've been there. And so instead of ringing someone up and trying to get research for a novel about a certain situation you don't need to do that because you've you've been in that you know you've experienced it you've been in that situation you can put yourself in in the character's shoes like we all us authors we have to put ourselves in the character's shoes but with you it's it's more intense i think because and more dramatic and I think that's what makes the book so um suspenseful and uh, twisty and um edgy because of the the subject that you're writing about and knowing exactly what you're writing about and not doing, what having they, to do so much research like someone writing about a brain surgeon they're not a brain absolutely. surgeon you don't do that you can't do that because even doesn't matter how much research you do you can't get it across correctly but you yeah. write about what you know especially for your first book you always write about what you know so it you comes across as you're an expert in that field
1: well and I'm you know I do write from a place that I know people always say write what you know and I think that um for me, in particular, it's really important that I'm writing as realistically and authentically as possible about my protagonists because they're generally women. women. Um, I'm again, I'm not, I'm not uh, anti-man, but I am a woman, and therefore, that is sort of where I'm viewing the world from, and I find that that's kind of the most authentic voice that I can write from is that of a woman going through something. That being said, you know, I want people to read the books and get a real idea of what it might look like to be in that situation whether it's something you know like running for office in a small town or whether it's something you know more sinister like being involved in some kind of sexual assault or trauma i want people to read it and i want them to think about what it really is like to be in those situations, not because I want to traumatize the world, but because Mm -hmm. I want to build empathy. I want people to understand that there is no one right way to live this life. And that includes things like when you're a victim of a crime, not everybody acts the same way. Not everybody reacts the same way. Um, You know, we have to be able to find some compassion uh, for people without expecting them to live up to whatever idea that we have in our head about how people are supposed to behave in any given situation. And so um, I do do research. A lot of what I write about though really starts from my understanding of how people are, people's behavior. Um, I do look into things, but I've also studied um, you know I've studied psychology and so I have a pretty good idea of different ways that people, behave in different situations. And what are the factors that might impact that? Because that's always the thing for me. When I meet people in real life, I honestly, I'm always going to be asking myself, I wonder why they're like this. Or I wonder what happened that caused this. You know, I want to know what your story is, because I think that we tend to judge people based on, you know, very superficial things (laughs) that we see about them. And the answer is, is that we all have stories. Um, we all have very complex, complicated stories, not necessarily bad. Nobody knows so-
0: what goes on behind a closed door. Absolutely. You know, you, you have that face, you see that face or, or say someone you've never met online, but you've been friends for years on Messenger and on Facebook, um, but you don't know what that person's life is really like. You don't even know if that person is really a female.
1: Creating the best version of ourselves, or the version of ourselves that we want other people—we want
0: other people know. to see exactly—we're putting over yes. a persona that might not actually be who we truly are.
1: Absolutely, and I think that you know, part of what we as people need to do when we're talking with, when we're meeting people, when we're forming relationships, is to try and have like a really honest conversation with ourselves about what is really important for us to know because it's way more important for me to know, you know, that maybe something about you, that you're sensitive about a certain thing or that, um, you know, something about your personality, it's more important for me to know that than whether or not you've got girl parts or boy parts going on downstairs. You know, that is not really as important for me to know. We need to treat people as individuals and really look at them for who they are and, you know, try and put some of those those things aside, when it's not applicable to us, when it's not really that important for us to know. It's one thing when it's your intimate partner, it's another thing entirely when it's somebody that you know casually, and we don't necessarily need to be, you know, aware of or even judgmental about a lot of the things that we worry about, (laughs) and we should spend more time getting to know people on a, on a more, you know, on a more, deep level or on a more mm. empathetic level so
0: let's um talk about your latest release mm-hmm. um why don't you um tell uh, the listeners and uh watchers because it's audio as well about so, your new book my new book the
1: mostly my latest release is called complicit and it's the first book in a new series uh, a legacy of silence And the idea really came about, I'm always thinking, especially in small towns, about how easy it is to hide trauma and to hide violence and to hide the, the kind of secrets that we don't really want other people know about us. We want people to come to our town and think, this is a lovely little town that I would love to live in. Mm, Who knows what goes on. (laughs) Yes, I mean, you know, and and in so far as as people, we are painting that picture that we want people to see of us. We are putting on that persona. Towns are like that too. Places are like that too. Organizations are like that too. And the the image that we're getting is not always the truth. You know, it's Mm -hmm. not always the full picture. In fact, I would say very often it's not. Mm -hmm. And so, I I love messing with this idea that people have of small towns being safe because really the answer is violence happens everywhere.
0: Everywhere, And
1: the more we are aware of that, the more likely we are to be able to prevent the violence that happens around us, to understand and recognize the signs of violence and be able to do something about them. We are able to do that when we take those blinders off and realize that violence happens everywhere. Bad things happen everywhere. Bad things don't just happen to bad people, they happen to good people. And in fact, this idea of bad people is also kind of a weird, false thing in my mind. Because yeah, I don't sure. know
0: where that came from. That uh, No. And yeah.
1: So, Complicit, you know, is about this small town where this horrendous sex trafficking ring has been going on for, for generations. It has been happening for a long time. It is ingrained in the very foundations of this place and so I was playing really with this idea of you know what happens when a whole town and obviously that does not include every single person in the town but a town as a whole is sort of complicit in something that is happening you know we were trying to put forward this idea of what a town is like and so we're willing to sweep under the rug the fact that are important people or some of our, you know, most respectable people are maybe not as respectable as they seem. Mm-hmm. And people might think that that's kind of a jump, but really in real life, this happens all the time where we find out that, you know, the pastor, the pastor or,
0: isn't as a saint yes, as you think he is. Exactly. or Especially these, you know, to parents. his family.
1: Mm. Absolutely. These, this is what we find out is that really these people that we have, we have sort of shielded, People from We've put the them on thing. the pedestal. We're the ones yes. that put
0: them on the pedestal.
1: Exactly. I always think of it as like hiding behind the idea of respectability. And um, so, you know, I, I want to question that. So in complicit, that's what I do. I have a person who has experienced trauma, her and her sister who has also experienced trauma in some cases, in some of the same ways. They're dealing with their complex family relationships. The protagonist Kate is also trying to, she recognizes that something really bad is happening in her her town and she wants to try and stop it. But the powers that be are not wanting somebody. This is what's been happening. And people will try and keep you from understanding the truth for many reasons. You know, one of those reasons is because they are guilty. But one of the reasons is also because they don't want to admit to themselves that this could be happening right under their noses. And so, we'll create stories in our heads about what we're seeing to explain away things that should be red flags or should be making us.
0: I hear you. you know, I hear out. you. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I've known this from, um, uh, author that wrote about a situation, um, that she went through in a small town that tried to cover it up. Yeah. Um, I think it was her fiance was killed in the car crash and it was, um, police officer that uh, was involved, a drunk police officer. And so you can imagine small town under the carpet, everyone lying in court. Eventually, someone owned up and said, No, this, you know, we've all been lying. This is what really happened. But like you said, a small town, what goes on, no one realises what goes on in the place like that, and who these people really are, and what is really going on. And when it comes to someone trying to blow the lid off it, that's when it gets dangerous
1: Absolutely. for that person. Very much so. And in in lots of different ways, you know, even if there's no physical danger, sometimes you are looking at your career being ruined or, you know, your reputation in town being ruined or whatever it happens to be. So there's a lot of danger there in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I write, crime fiction, basically suspense thrillers. So I'm going to be upping the ante on that and having that, you know, danger become physical and become, you know, something that is more tangible so that the reader can really get a sense of what it feels like to be there. But, you know, the reality of the situation is that that is exactly true. It's hard to be that whistleblower. It's hard to be the person who stands up against the established
0: yeah. you know, institution
1: or family or whatever it happens to be and says, no, 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 this is not right. And, you know, my goal and my hope in life is that we get to the point where more people are willing to be that person, to be that person who says, absolutely not. This is where I draw the line. I don't care, you know, what our relationship is or what my obligations are to this. I cannot do this immoral thing. I cannot stand by while you do it. You know, that that was, that's what I'd love to see happen. More people being able to stand up for the other people in their communities and
0: families. That's, uh, that's wonderful. So the whole um, series at the moment, you said is three books, a trilogy at the moment, but could be more?
1: Yes. Um, Right now I have a very solid trilogy, but every time I write even a scene with Kate, I'm like, I don't know that I'm going to be able to let her go at the end of book three. So we'll see.
0: (laughs) So you've got, um, is is Kate like a lawyer? Is she the one who's going through everything in these books? So Kate is
1: a, Kate is a forensic psychologist by, Ah. by, uh, you know, her background is in forensic psychology and she had worked for a long time in the prison system. It was kind of like her dream job. She's always been fascinated with true crime and, so she wanted to go in and kind of be in the criminal justice system somehow, but she's really interested in how people behave and, and he, just the way that motivation she's works. She's. So, she's me in she's. some ways. So, I mean, for sure, Kate definitely, you know, has some of those tendencies because of me. And so um, she worked in the prison system for a long time and then she experienced a trauma. And so she did what many, many people do when they experience Run. trauma. She retreated. She, <laughs> she went home yeah. to her hometown and she hid out in her old bedroom and, you know, pretended like she could somehow escape you know, or retreat. put that aside without having to actually deal with it. And that is such a common trauma response. It's like, we want to believe that if we just don't talk about it or don't think about it, it, then will, it will just go, go away. away.
0: No, yes. it doesn't. And that is not the way that it works. Nah. So Kate,
1: you know, Kate is going to be in the second book, she'll be setting up her own practice. So she'll be working with patients, but her ultimate goal is going to be to set up this safe house because she recognizes that uh, it is going to take a while for them to bring down this whole trafficking ring. It's very well organized. It's been happening for a long time. And so it's not just going to go away right away. So-
0: All three books is still staying with this story of this small town and the trafficking. I thought you were going over to different things that she was involved in.
1: Wow. Yeah, there will be other things involved. So there will will be other, you know, subplots kind of going on. But ultimately, the big arc for this trilogy is the sex trafficking ring. And again, you know, part, I know that people got to the end of complicit and were like, yeah, but you didn't find out who the really bad bad guy was. And I'm like, well... (laughs) Here's the thing.
0: <laughs> you never actually left them on
1: a cliffhanger,
0: but. <laughs> right.
1: But it's like, here's the thing. You know, it's not that simple. You know, we we often, and I don't know why people expect that it should be, because we actually watch thrillers all the time where, you know, there are levels, it's a hierarchy of corruption, and it takes a while to people get to whoever's at the to
0: top. Whoever, yes. Because... If you ever get there. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Automatic. Yeah. <laughs> But, I mean, you think, you know, a little town and someone's blowing the lid off it and it won't be long until, uh, you know, the news and the city hears about it and it gets blown up and it's around all around America and everything. But the first book, it doesn't happen like that. And the second book, maybe she's getting a little bit, uh, getting something back from what she's doing. Yep. And I think by the end of your series we're going to have uh, some justice I can yeah I can feel that there, coming she's,
1: she's, you know narrowing in on what's happening and finding out you know that you sometimes you have to take down the people at the bottom of the pyramid before you get to the people at the top oh, and God. so you know there are a lot of revelations Kate is going to be working very hard to you know save the people in her town and to, to save the girls who are being preyed on. She is doing her best to do that and she is going to be doing that all while dealing with her own personal problems and all the things that are happening in her own life because that there is the reality also. You know, I read mm-hmm. crime fiction books all the time. I'm reading a series of poli- police procedurals right now and, and you know, I, I love when the author can go in and actually look at the fact that the police officer has an actual life. They have a family. They have troubles. They have, issues that they're dealing with, and they have to be working in that job and still living the life that they're living. And you can't just stop. Yeah. Right. Tough, I mean, you no. can't just do one or the other, because I think that when you do, then that's when, you know, divorce happens. And mm-hmm. when you have children who don't have any relationship with their parents, because the parents have so successfully like compartmentalized that they've compartmentalized their children right out of their lives. I think that happens in real life, and I think it's unfortunate that it happens. And I think that one thing that could help, maybe, is for people to start realizing that that it's not that simple. We all are human and have complex stories, and the more we can kind of focus on that and integrate that into our understanding of the world, I like the better.
0: That. Well, Amy, it's been absolutely fantastic chatting with you. I know we didn't talk much about your work because <laughs> we talked more about. Uh, psychology and philosophy the and, and, and the world in itself and people and and but that's what I love about this show that people get to to meet you they've they don't know who you are um they watch it they they learn things from it and then hopefully they'll go out and buy your book and that's what we're, yeah that's 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 the whole point that's what we're trying to do so where can people find your book amy
1: um so all of my books are available in all the places that books are sold so um, if you are an amazon sort of person they're all there if you are more into indie bookstores uh you can go and if they don't have it on the shelf they'll be able to order it and uh I always say one of my favorite places to buy books right now is bookshop.org because it supports indie bookstores throughout the country and so uh you can definitely get my books there too
0: that's awesome. I like that. We, we need more places like that. Well, um, Amy, I wish you all the best with the rest of your uh, books in the series. And of course, with your because we didn't get time to, to talk about it, but she's got an amazing like a lit sort of light, more of a lighter um, comment, not comedy, but dra- dramatic, but more lighter um series uh, for you to go and check out all of her books because uh, she's a prolific author she doesn't just uh, write um, dark uh, thrillers um she she does totally the opposite as well um so amy all the best with everything and thank you so much for being a guest on behind the pen
1: thank you so much for having me thank you